Open wide and tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week on the panel, I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Tony Cascarino, and from lovely downtown Ripon, Ollie Kay. This week, we're going to be looking at Everton, who knocked out Chelsea, holders of the FA Cup two years running at Stamford Bridge. It was a penalty shootout, and it was a special goal from Leighton Baines. On the subject of Leighton, Leighton Orient hold Arsenal to a 1-1 draw and win themselves a replay. We'll also have our usual quick hits feature, and in our debate, we'll be taking a look at Barcelona. Do they belong among the greatest sides ever? So please stick with us for the next 35 minutes or so. I know for some people, the Premier League review is the uh, their favorite part of the program. We don't have a Premier League review this week because it's FA Cup, but we still have two Premier League sides, Chelsea and Everton. Um, Chelsea, out of the cup. We won't have three in a row. I, I thought Everton came out of the gate very, very well, um, but Chelsea hung in there and I thought and certainly the second half and, and in extra time despite some of the commentary on my TV I thought that they had the better of the game uh, am I wrong Cass? Um, Chelsea are dominating in possession um, and they missed a few opportunities um, the, the problem I have watching Chelsea is that they used to make the most out of these type of games. To take games that were hanging in the balance, they seem to grind the team down and win, and they're not doing that now. They seem to be the opposition is hanging on uh, and then getting something from the game. And I've got to be honest, I was surprised by Ancelotti's lineup for Champions League in midweek. He, he had a golden opportunity to, to change things around, desperate to try and win a game. That's the obvious reason I can think. But there are problems at Chelsea. If anyone ignores what's been happening over the last couple of months, it's is mad because they've had so many indifferent results and personnel has changed. Um, and it's going to be another telling time for me and I think coming into the Copenhagen game this week it's 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 a tough tough time to be a player at that football club and a manager Cass um, you, you say you were surprised yeah. by the um, by, by the lineup but I'm just looking at who he had on his bench of course David Luiz and Fernando Torres mm. he couldn't use them and you know he started with Michael Essien on the bench mm. obviously that's that's one change Mikel for, for Essien um, I suppose he could have played Jerkov who came on at some point um, and and Elka started on the bench, and then beyond that, he had uh, Jakob Osala and Ryan Bertrand, who I believe mm. haven't uh, made their debuts yet, and Josh McEachern. So, I, I mean, judging from the personnel there, uh, there's only so much he could have done in terms of playing a, an alternative lineup, right? Um, well, yeah, he could have done, but <laughs> the Champions League game for me has become such a great importance now for Chelsea Football Club. It's not inconceivable that Copenhagen knock them out. Probably unlikely, but it's still a possibility. And I would want every player that would have played in this cup tie uh, that I thought could be available for Copenhagen. They wouldn't have got a chance. They wouldn't have played. Uh, and I think you had to somehow give an opportunity to, you know, like the Arsenals do, let younger players play who might not even have an opportunity. I just thought this Copenhagen game has became too big of a match for them. 
Uh, Ollie, would that have been uh, a wise choice for Ancelotti, or would he just been crucified, lose again, and then also on top of that say you're insulting the glory and sanctity of the FA Cup by playing a bunch of people who haven't kicked the ball for the first team yet? Yeah, I, I, I'm, um, I, I don't agree with Cass. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I think you picked the the right lineup or something like the right lineup um, in order to try and win the game. I mean, you you're basically looking at a, a, a sort of pool of about 14 players that, that he's got at the moment um, plus perhaps Josh, Josh McEachran could have started the game I suppose but you cannot blame um, Ancelotti in my view for, for looking at that and thinking we have to go through we have to we have to win this game and you know they came within a minute of a, a minute of going through in in, uh, in extra time until the the, um, the superb free kick from Lake Baines and even then it's down to a 50-50 in penalties and I I thought he picked the right team well Something like the right team. Maybe there would be a case for for resting um, you know, one or two of them, but I think resting Essien was a good idea because um, he's been out of form and seeming, seemingly needing a rest. But I, I, I don't have a problem with the team he picked at all. It's, it's I think he, he would have got more criticism for picking a weak team and losing. Paddy, you were there. Um, what did Everton do right, uh, especially in, in in the first half? They worked hard, uh, worked hard all, all through the game, and, and they needed to do that after being criticised for a uh, lack of commitment uh, almost in the previous game against Bolton. So they worked very hard. Um, they counterattacked when they could. Um, I don't. I mean, I thought Chelsea were much, much, much the better side uh, in what was a very, very good game. But the problem with Everton is 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 creativity. You know, they 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 apart from Arteta and Leighton Baines with his crossing. Mm. That's it. Coleman. That's it. Oh, Coleman! Don't talk to me about Coleman. He's a he's a marvelous athlete and he's going to be a very good player. But on Saturday. He was. He played like he'd never played football before. He looked worth every penny of sixty grand. Mm. I'm telling you, his use of the ball was abysmal, mm. and it was. I think it was just one of those days because I've seen him a lot of times before. Been very, very impressed. See, that's the whole, uh, Patrick. That's a, you know the point about Everton. When you play Everton, you know exactly what you're coming up against. Yes. They are going to work you mm. harder than any other team. Or if not. You know, obviously the the top four teams always work harder than most sides, but Everton outside that bracket, I think they'll match you all over the park. And if they fall short of that, like they did against Bolton uh, the week before, Chelsea knew what this game was going to be like. And it's no coincidence they've been what three or four draws, Paddy. Yeah, last, that's right. That's last four right. times that's they've played. Right. They, they really need somebody. I mean, it was it was really sad. I mean, uh, Moyes tried to uh, 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 tried to. Uh, to get something going up front by playing two strikers. I mean, Cahill, as you'd imagine, mm. just off the front. But Cahill was playing balls and Beckford. Beckford was 20 yards. You know, I mean, he couldn't see them. Mm. He couldn't see. Um, yeah, and It's also maybe a function of Beckford's not Sahar. Oh, that's that, that's exactly it. I mean, if Sahar all all through the game, I was saying if Sahar was here, it'd be a different game. But you know, that's it. You you know, every team you, has got to be able to take one player out and 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 still be able to play. Final final word to to wrap up Chelsea and Everton. Um, a tremendous free kick. 
from from Leighton Baines. This is a guy who, you know, he starts at Wigan. Yeah. They get promoted. Nobody really notices. Oh, promoted it's just twice. Another, yeah. Yeah. Just another sort of obscure uh, in scouser, you know, but hey, presume overlooked by 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 the teams on Merseyside. He reminds me of um, Dennis Irwin yeah. of Manchester United. Yeah. That player with the ability to do things like he did and mm. and gets un- goes under the radar. Yeah. Uh, you know, seven out of ten every week. The left back position for England is suddenly has become a tremendous strength. We've got arguably one of the best in the world in Ashley Cole, so that's fine. The the, the number one on the on the uh, you, you know is great. We now have this guy Baines, who has undoubtedly uh, come back and is absolutely has to be an absolute cert for if not the match in Wales, definitely the match against Ghana. Who's that, number three that follows and and coming along is Kieran Gibbs. Moving on to the mighty O's taking on uh, uh, Arsenal. Uh, one thing that struck me, we, we touched upon this before, um, Arsene Wenger, of course, had his Champions League game already, but um, he decided to make a bunch of changes, and uh, you know, I think we saw the, the debut as a regular, certainly one of his very first games, uh, um, of, of Nacho Miguel uh, at the back for Arsenal, alongside Sebastian Skilashi, another guy who doesn't get too much playing time, and you have your, your Rosicki, you've got your Bentner starting. Um, um, Ollie, you were there. Was this the kind of thing where Arsenal take the lead, one-way traffic, and then boom, a wonder strike, and Wenger's groaning that he's got a replay to deal with? Yeah, well, that, that, that's that's pretty much how Wenger saw it. But I, I would say that after um, Arsenal scored that goal, I think eight minutes into the second half, they they had a, a period where they looked like they were going to had a second and maybe a third but then suddenly um, Orient just came into it again I don't know to what extent it was the uh, the very lively substitute Tehue but um, it was uh, he certainly made a big impact and you looked at the last 20 minutes Orient were really threatening they had sort of two near misses before the uh, before the goal finally came and I, I thought um Certainly not in terms of possession or anything like that, but but you, you could certainly make an argument for saying um, that um, Orient deserved a replay, which is probably much the same as saying that Arsenal deserved to beat Barcelona a few nights earlier. Um, Paddy, is there, is there so Orient get a replay, which mm-hmm. you know back at it means that they'll get some money from or quite a bit of money, I would presume, from the gate and the Emirates, and they'll probably go and spend that money on player wages, um, mm-hmm. but. I can't help but but think if you were at Orient, what what I want to throw out here in in this situation is for late Orient, might it not have been slightly better to go and settle it on the night? So now Arsenal get a game they really don't want to play, a game that they'll almost definitely win. All late Orient effectively get out of it is, uh, is 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 a big payday and money that they'll presumably spend on player wages. Mm. Am I wrong here, Cass? Um, what well, I been would there. yeah, I, what I would say, and there's a Gillingham and played against the likes of Everton and, and we had Tottenham's in the cups. Absolutely dream for players to go and play at the Emirates. You know, these Orient players, probably none of them will get the opportunity ever again. Mm. And for them, yeah, but when you play for Gillingham, you you knew that. I mean. You knew you were going to play in those places later, right? Well, if you've got a great cup cup draw, yeah. But also, what do you mean as in a player? Well, I, at the time, no, I was a young kid and broke into. I didn't know whether I'd make the level I, I did. Um, but a lot of them, Latin Orient players, won't won't achieve. You know, to play at the very top end of football. See, it's fan- for them, they will absolutely love it to go. But to, is it to the, the top end of football if you're going to play at the Emirates against the Arsenal C team, where or even or even the better Arsenal players? 
who don't want to be there and nobody cares and and I mean does that rob some of the drama compared to compared to what it might have been like a few years ago it's undermined slightly yeah I I agree with that but going to the Emirates and playing there and there will be a huge Latin Orient contingent that will follow them and they'll they'll just say well we hope Arsenal play the weakest team we can because we might even get the opportunity of going to Old Trafford which is their their draw (laughs) so there'll be absolutely no problem at all so the club will love it the only people who don't like it are the big clubs because they've got extra games Hey, Paddy, leave the Orient. It's just a word on them. I mean, I probably I would venture to guess out of all the league clubs in mm-hmm. London, yeah. um, this is probably you know we use the word fashionable and so on. Mm. This is the one that I mean, even Brentford tends to make the headlines mm. slightly more than the yes. Orient do. And yes. The only reason we even mentioned them recently is because, of course, the Olympic Stadium is on their patch, and they're the ones who would get screwed no matter who gets it. Mm. Um, and oh, and the fact that they built flats and yeah. uh, in, in the yeah. ground. Is, is, is this just one of the wonderful quirks? Is, is this, this like sort of the archetypal community? Yeah. Club well, it's, it's nice to be reminded every now and again that that Leighton Orient isn't just a nice name. Uh, for a football club and that one actually does still exist there um, I mean Brentford yes Brentford you, you associate uh, the, the former chairman of the BBC ran it and Greg Dyke whereas Orient are run by, by Barry Hearn a sort of more of a um, more East Enders than, than than Panorama. As far as replays are concerned, uh, yes, the players will love it. The fans will love the day out going to a magnificent stadium like the Emirates Stadium, and it gives Arsenal a chance um, to use, you know, the the almost plethora of uh, backup maybe players, one of whom may get a chance to shine. Uh, we should uh, uh, name check Jonathan Tehue because it's the second time that he's had he's come up with heroics in the in the FA Cup and uh, Ollie Kay has a, a nice piece about it on page three of uh, the game uh, insert uh, today. So Ollie, can you um, can you tell us why we should care about Jonathan Tehue and what makes his story so wonderful? Well, he's a he's a guy of twenty six who's who's basically. I mean, it was it was quite funny that. We sort of asked Arsene Wenger whether, with his encyclopedic knowledge, he had heard of uh, Tahue because um, obviously he's a French striker. And I think um, I speak for most of the national journalists there if, if I say that I hadn't heard of him. Um, and I don't think there's too much shame in admitting that, considering that Arsene Wenger said the same. And it was just a, a great story because <laughs> you look at you look at him and he looked brilliant for those 20 minutes. It wasn't just the goal; there were a couple of speedy, incisive runs down the right and. Um, He's done it before as well. He, he did it against um, Droylston in the in the second round. I think they were on their way out of the cup. I think one nil down or two one up, and then he scored an equaliser in the last minute, forced the extra time, and and then got a second and third goal in extra time. So he he's been a real good luck charm for for, for them in the cup. Jonathan Tuhui, that was the first installment of your 15 minutes of fame, but uh, may you get many more, perhaps by scoring the winner at the Emirates. It was actually most of the 15 minutes, wasn't it, my ramble? Yes, it was extremely long, and I'm sure that uh, Pat, our producer, will will cut you down to size. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we all got to see Barcelona very, very uh, up close last week against against Arsenal. Um, And what I'd like to talk about in our debate is what we think about where we, 
where it ranks because we we all know the statistics that you know they're on pace to uh, break the, uh, the 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 record in the Liga for points. They're on pace to break the record in the Liga for goals this is for a 38 game season. Um, you know, they won the Champions League with much the same team two years ago. Um, probably my opinion anyway were the best team in the Champions League last year probably still are the best team in the Champions League this year. And what's really striking about them is at a time that football is moving or has been moving for some time towards you know, a, a more physical um, uh, style of play or more uh, athletic style of play, I don't want to say that these guys are are on are athletic, but you know you have a you have a situation where um, except for Sergi Busquets, if you look at the midfielders and, and the strikers, mm-hmm. the, the tallest uh, off the top of my head is five foot seven, um, which seems like an which seems like an absurdity, and, and I mean they're really the only team in the world um, yes. like this. Yes. Um, <laughs> but of course they go and, and they lose to uh, to Arsenal at the Emirates and. Uh, I just want to know: Has our opinion of them changed? What What, what do we make of them? And, and since you're laughing, Cass, I'll let you go first. All right, you laughing at all the little Barcelona Smurfs? Uh, well, I'm just thinking. Apart from not being good enough, I probably wouldn't have got into their team being six foot three. But um, and incidentally, letting Ibrahimovic go as well, who was their only big player last year, I think they're amazing to watch. I've watched a lot of them this year. Their movement and their ability to close down, their work rate, technical. You know, they they they've got it. Oh, I mean, I, it's quite funny because before the game at the the, um, the Emirates, someone was saying to me, find weaknesses. And I said, well, I've never really known how good the goalkeeper is because not many teams seem to get to him very often. Um, and I think it is a weakness in their, their side. Well, but, you know that they don't concede enough shots? Well, they tend to get the ball very high up the park and obviously possession is very dominant in their style. Um, they are certainly, and you touched on it, Gab, because when you're talking about a team that's breaking records or equaling records, that have been set you have to be one of the all-time greats because all the barriers they were that close of breaking the all-time away victories wasn't they mm-hmm. in, in La Liga as well it was very close to that so they are for me they have to be an all-time great team and I look at them and think the pace of their performances it'll be so interesting the replay in the Camp Nou that's going to be a real tester because Arsenal did do fantastically well in the way they, they turned the tie around mm. but I do think there's some major obstacles in the new Camp that's going to be confronted uh, for Arsenal to, to try and deal with and I think that's going to prove a huge huge test for them Paddy d- does it matter that Barcelona aren't just dominating but that they're doing it in a way unlike any other mm. team that, that we've seen before yeah, I mean, I think we have to be careful of measuring this Barcelona team by its victories or, or, or its goals because, um, by and large, the standard of La Liga has gone down. I say this having watched Barcelona beat Athletic with a great deal of difficulty last uh, last night. A very impressive performance um, by, by Athletic, I thought. Um, but, um, by and large, La Liga hasn't offered the kind of challenge that you got a few years ago when Valencia had an outstanding side when Deportivo La Coruña was still up there Seville uh, uh, Seville uh, you know were winning trophies in Europe <coughs> so so the standard generally is not so impressive it is a bit Rangers Celtic I'm not dissing Valencia for a, for a, for a second uh, but the the plain fact is that it's a two horse race in Spain I, I, I would say this Barcelona is is not only the best club in the world at the moment, but I would say it's my favourite football team of all time. 
ahead of Frank Rijkaard's team. Which Are you saying this because you, you weren't old enough to remember the great Hungarian side of your forefathers? I don't remember the Hungarian side of my forefathers, but I do remember the Real Madrid team that won 7-3 against Eintracht Frankfurt at uh, Hamden Park. I saw the Milan team that took over uh, dominance of Europe after the banning of the uh, of Liverpool and other English clubs after Hazel. Uh, and I think that the, the, the greatest... Open wide and tuck in to Spoon It with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting and a sprinkle of top tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, Download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Doug. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. Club performance I've ever seen was Milan in under Capello in the final of 1993 or 1994. 94. 94. Um, in which they beat the so-called dream team of Barcelona, Johan Cruyff's team, 4-0. Now that... Uh, team, including uh, the searing pace of Ronald Koeman, the endless creativity of Baccaro and so on, was not nearly as good as this side. This side, for me, is football at the journey's end. This is the, 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 in the, the 5 0 victory over Real Madrid earlier this season. If I could have one video of any football match that has ever taken place, that would unquestionably be it. And uh, if, if you say, well, what would be the second? It would be that same video in black and white. <laughs> I, it was so good. It was, the, it, it was, it was just football, de- for me, defined. What stands out about the Barcelona yeah. team is their incredible work rate and that you don't normally associate with fantastically flair side, incredible organisation. Mm. That is, for me, is one of the standouts. When I watch them play, yeah. they actually all complement each other when they haven't got the ball. Yep. And you uh, don't really see that. Ollie, um, what's your take on this? Are they that organized defensively? And, and I'm thinking about those times that they do press high up the pitch and they lose it. I, sometimes to me it does look as if you know maybe it's just the way Puyol looks with his hair flapping all over the place or PK's long limbs having come across. I wonder if maybe I'm maybe they could be slightly more organised, but maybe I'm just nitpicking here and being sad. Well, the, the main sort of defensive strategy is, is keeping the ball and, and and keeping it a long way away from from their goal and from from Fitzfaldes. But I mean, they 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 generally have two uh, two very attacking fullbacks very far up the field. They, they you know Xavi and Iniesta and, and and all these players they, they they knock it around so so well so effectively. The, so rarely surrender possession in in any kind of dangerous area. I mean, uh, that that to me is their main defensive strategy. Although mm. Busquets is a very intelligent guy, especially for such a young player. I wish uh, England could produce that kind of player once in a while. But um, I mean, I, I I I don't think their defensive uh, ability or even their work rate, which is ad- which is admirable, is uh, is what I would necessarily gush about. I, I just think they are fantastic to watch. Mm. That those sort of little three, four yard passes in the middle of the pitch, mm. the the one touch stuff, it is brilliant. And I, I would say, um, combined with the the sort of balletic poise and and brilliance of Messi, who's a mm. perhaps the one player who's slightly different in in, in profile in, in the 
forward line. They are just sensational to watch. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would work rate, watch them all day. The work day, rate, unfortunately, is a, is a prerequisite for the for the kind of football they play. Yeah. If if you played that football in your own half, you'd be relegated. Mm. You have to play it, and that means early repossession. And that's why Xavi, for me, uh, is one of the is one of the greatest cool. midfield players who's but, ever lived. But about that work rate, um, do we agree that? You can have because it's incredible. I mean, the, the, what they say in Spain is that Barcelona's work rate is actually well. They basically rest for three quarters of the game yeah. when they have the yeah. ball, yeah. Mm. and that's what allows you to then run around like a maniac to yeah. win the ball back in that other twenty-five percent of the time when you don't have it. Is it, it. true, guys, that when you have the ball, you don't get tired? Well, it, it depends. On the back of that, does it also make a difference if you have the ball and you're playing for Barcelona and you know that your teammates are named Xavi and yes, you're not going to give it away? Whereas perhaps if you're playing for Millwall and yeah. your teammates are some of the guys you played with, then maybe you're still a little bit nervous yeah. to lose the ball. I think what does make a difference, if you've got the confidence in one of the players playing alongside you, you know he's not going to lose it, you don't make... You know, you don't make runs that are not necessary. Mm. You know, you don't waste energy like lots of teams do who give the ball away making runs, which is I can remember playing as a centre forward on numerous occasions with a winger that would do one thing and do another. I'd be coming in, I'd be going out, I'd be, I wouldn't be wasting my runs. But if you know that the player in midfield mm. is going to do a certain thing, and 99 times out of 100, you know exactly what's going to It's a big advantage. Mm. And we w- if we were to name a world 11, we wouldn't name Barcelona's back four or their goalkeeper. For me, in the, in a world eleven, well, I, I, I'd I'd have PK in. There, oh well, you state, you might. Yeah. I I certainly could think of others, but you know, Puyol, the way they play. But he even when he's out of the team, they they look weaker, slightly yeah. defensively. Their ability is from the midfield to the forward line. It is just stunning to watch. It really is. Uh, Ollie, this is something that I mean, Cass touched upon it there. My one concern, because for me, I, I love aesthetics and dominance, mm. but I also want to see trophies at the end of the season my one concern is that this is not a very big squad and it's not a big squad by choice but there's almost a chicken and egg situation so anybody who saw them at the weekend um, against Bilbao would have seen that you know Mastrano just didn't fit he was a square peg in a round hole and it's not because Mastrano is a bad player it's because he hasn't played with those other guys much and when he does play with the other guys he tends to play badly because he doesn't fit and so as a result it seems to me that once this is basically a, a, a team of, of 13 players. So at the weekend, Puyol wasn't there. He tried putting Busquets at the back and and, uh, and, and, and Mastrano midfield. I think because he didn't want to... Uh, um, he wanted to give Maxwell a, a, a day off as well. But then at halftime, he's like, oh, no, i got to change this. And he went back and put Abidal in the middle, Maxwell left back and Busquets back in midfield. There's only so many ways you can shuffle the, 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 the same 13 players around. Is this something that... Could could damage them in 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 the long term. Should he maybe maybe at the expense of this great sort of team ethic? Uh, should he maybe have, have found ways to integrate his new players earlier in the season? Um, I think the problem is that, that, that they've got a small squad, as you say. I mean, uh, just that's by choice. The, yeah, I mean, but but I don't imagine it's uh, Guardiola's choice. I imagine that's that's a, a sort of no, but it kind of but it kind of is though. I mean, he's mm. got he's got Milito there, for example, who he hardly ever plays because he doesn't seem to trust him. I mean, I'm sure, mm. you know, you could get some money for Milito and, and bring in somebody else, or you could play Milito more, mm. or you could play, uh, you know, um, Afalai more. It just seems it's those eleven plus Maxwell and and Keita. 
and, and maybe Boyan uh, occasionally. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. But I mean, if you go back to the, um, I think the last, maybe the last two semi-finals that they've had against um, English clubs, that, or, or in fact the, the Champions League final against United, I think they had two of their defenders suspended. Um, I think they had two of their defenders suspended for the second leg against Chelsea um, yes. two seasons ago. Yeah. And you do pick up suspensions, and it, and PK's out, isn't he? Only in the return game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And. You take PK or, or Puyol or, or one of the others out of that back four, it suddenly looks weaker because th- their reserves aren't as strong. And they will, if they're going to go far in this Champions League, which obviously Arsenal hope they won't, um, they are going to pick up suspensions. And, and that is, is where they'll be tested. I mean, I, I remember in the 2009 final that. The um, I, I, well, I say I remember. I, I, did they, they slip Yaya Torre back there? I can't, I can't yes, remember. Yes. But, but what the, they did, the crucial thing, um, Puyol played fullback and was the man of the match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they, but they, they, I mean, they they clearly have brilliant players, but they their defence isn't isn't the strongest part of the team, and the defensive cover clearly isn't the strongest part of the team because um, Guardiola isn't even using those uh, those players as, uh, as you know, rotating the squad when when there's a case for doing so. So. That is, a, that is a concern and it's also incredibly difficult to win the Champions League you look at the, the history of the European Cup clubs used to retain it almost um, at will and, and, and win it three times in a row in some cases and five times or six times or whatever it was in, in Real Madrid's case nobody has retained it in the, in the modern Champions League era if you look at Barcelona at the moment you would say they are the best team in Europe or certainly I would um, but it's still very, very difficult to win this Champions League. Um, I want to throw one other thing out there. Obviously, the great Slatan Ibrahimovic experiment last year, um, you know, was seen as a failure by Guardiola. He got rid of him. Um, although, to be fair, they did win the league. But what, what I found interesting was that the Ibrahimovic type was sold, and he wasn't replaced. I it seemed, would have seemed logical to me at, over the summer to bring in one. Cascarino type, um, even just for the bench, you know, um, just just somebody with size who could give you something different. What, Llorente or somebody like that? Well, I mean, Llorente, you're talking 40 million. But, well, it's, but there, it's there, quite there is a, a cheaper, hardworking option. The, the the first option now off the bench when it comes to, to strikers is mm. is Boyan, who is even who's like five foot one, mm. just about, and who's very he calls messy, lofty. I don't think is very good. And the other thing is that the, the next option is chucking PK and Busquets up front in the yeah. centre forward which they've also done I I mean is this the kind of thing where when they lose then we're all going to because we all love generalising mm. and piling on mm. and just all going to pile and say oh look there's no plan B mm. well I would add I mean it's quite interesting that Real Madrid took out by all now some people like probably all here would say well why would you want to take a lazy, lazy so and so like Adebayor but have you watched him play for Madrid mm. the way Fantastic. he's run around he's, like he's the... absolutely chasing his backside <laughs> off Adebayor now Man City fans and Arsenal fans well Arsenal fans remember the Adebayor that first broke into the team mm. Who did play like sensation. that? And Barcelona could have took him because, for, for I absolutely guarantee, he would have done what he's doing for Madrid, working very, very hard because he's got a point to prove. All right, time now for some quick hits. Only one Premier League game this weekend, so let's start with that, since it's the biggest and best competition in the world. Uh, West Brom needed a late, late equaliser <laughs> to grab a share of the spoils against Wolves. Uh, Hodgson ditched Di Matteo's 4-5-1 in favour of 4-4-2. Paddy, is this a wise change? And uh, what are the things we'll do, will Roy do differently? I don't know about wise, but it uh, surprised me. Uh, West Brom at Albion, what you, lots of very good midfield players. 
a, a striker who Odenwingi is probably best left alone. Uh, they did look made for four five one. But Roy, Roy Hodgson's always played 4-4-2, so let's, let's see. Good news if you're Mark Antoine Fortuné. Correct. Ollie, uh, this particular game was also marred by fighting between supporters, a smoke bomb being thrown into the West Brahman, and Baggies fans responding by tearing up seats and throwing them back. Funny enough, I get the sense that you won't hear much else about this incident, and that, but if this had happened in a UEFA competition, it would be taken far more seriously. Um, uh, it's the second time this year that there's trouble in the Midlands uh, following the, the, the incidents at uh, Birmingham Villa, but... Is this a purely isolated thing? Should we actually be talking more about it, or would we just be giving oxygen to the bad guys? Well, first of all, I would say that the FA need to um, take strong action. And I mean, I remember an England game in Ukraine about 18 months ago when there were flares thrown on the pitch, and the FA made a formal um, complaint to UEFA about about the about that demanding action. I think action was taken. So I've got to say, if, if they do not take action themselves against um, about this, then certainly I am going to accuse them of great hypocrisy, and I really hope they do take action. Good for you, Ollie. Somehow I kind of feel that a flare on the pitch is a little bit less serious than a flare into a crowd of people, but hey, it's just me. Manchester United defeated Crawley, albeit just by single goal, and Sir Alex Ferguson allegedly was furious with his players. Uh, Cass, were United that bad? And also, how difficult is it for a top-flight player to, to play against a bunch of guys who are three, four, five tiers below you? Um, yeah, they were that bad, especially in the second half. They were awful, and Fergie was right to be furious. So people like Obertan giving up Opportunity of Bebe, you know, Darren Gibson, 23 years old, given an opportunity. And yes, it is tough playing against Crawley, but it's even tougher if uh, you make it that hard. Man United players on the fringes need to play a very high level to get near the first team. They didn't this weekend. Bad news for the United Scrubs. Now, it was a tasty old firm as Celtic won 3-0 to go eight points clear of Rangers. Uh, but of course, we do have two games in hand. Uh, Paddy, uh, you're the most Scottish one here, although uh, Cass might... <laughs> Uh, lay claim to that a little bit when it comes to Celtic but uh, do Celtic deserve the title and what will the future hold for young Neil Lennon? Well it's looking that way that uh, Celtic certainly, he, I mean Lennon is a young man, you know he's a, a, the Rangers had at least one player uh, David Weir who's older than than, than Lennon. Yeah, but David Weir's uh, older than everybody. Yeah, that's that's true. That is true. Um, but the, so it, it, there is a long future for young Neil Lennon. Um, but he's coming along well. Um, I mean, the those who were initially sceptical about whether he was ready for the, for the job um, probably changing their minds. But really, the only way to judge a Celtic or Rangers manager is on what they do in Europe. It took Manchester City a while to get going, but they eventually thumped Notts County 5-0. Uh, Ollie, two questions for you. Is it wise for City to put out strong lineups in every competition, or should they really just focus on getting into the top four? And also, is Super Mario Balotelli worth the trouble? Well, um, if, you look at, if you look at City's approach to the Carling Cup earlier this season, they, they went out with the reserve team and went out very limply, and I think that was a big mistake because I think that was their best chance of winning, winning a competition this season. They clearly are now putting great store in, in the FA Cup and the uh, Europa League as well as the, the Premier League. And I, I, think, I think they've got the, the strength in depth to do that. And um, I, I think they'll, 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 win a, they'll win a trophy this season, um, but I, I don't think they would be... <laughs> I don't think they'll be doing themselves any favours if, if, uh, if they minimise their chances in any of them by, by putting out weak teams. 
Okay, I noticed how you skillfully avoided the super, is super Mario worth the trouble question. Correct. Mm. Birmingham City defeated Sheffield Wednesday 3-0 to advance to the next round, but um, Alec McLeish is worried that these cup runs could cost them dear, given that City's league position is nothing to write home about. Uh, Cass, do you have any sympathy for Big Eck? And uh, is it really too much of a good thing for City? Um, well, don't give players any excuses to take their foot off the pedal, <laughs> yes. first of all. Um, secondly, I think, you know, look at the cup games they've had. They've had Sheffield Wednesday at home. They had Coventry in the previous round at home. Good draws for them. I think the players will love to keep going further. You know, what better incentive for confidence and a good feeling around the around the club? So, no, I don't don't think it'll hinder their, their, their premiership status. I think it'll all come down to whether they're good enough. Are they staying up? Yeah, I think they are. I think they're good enough. They're, they're too hard to beat Birmingham to, to go down. Gab, one for you now. UEFA have announced ticket prices for the Champions League final at Wembley. They range from £176 to £326, including administration charge. Everybody except me has complained about this. Surely you agree it's a travesty? Yeah, it's funny, Paddy. I think you or I are actually in a minority. I, I did write this before I got to enjoy your excellent column in the game today. But I think it's absurd. The people who are paying these prices are the 11,000 people who by the end of March will enter some kind of lottery for the tickets. They're supposed to be the neutrals. You know what these people really are? These people come in three categories. Some of them are real purists who really could care less what game it is or they just want to go see a football match. Some of them are fans of the teams remaining in the competition. What those guys will do when, when, when their team gets knocked out is simply go and sell their tickets on eBay at a tidy profit. And third are scalpers who care less because they're basically just touts and they want to go and make money. That's all this is about. I think what really matters is that I think we should credit UEFA for the fact that 50,000 tickets set apart at 80 pounds, which is far more reasonable and compared to events like the Super Bowl, this is a very good deal. Thank you, Ollie. And now our Facebook question of the week. Those of you who went on to uh, uh, the game page uh, on, on Facebook uh, uh, can submit your questions, and that's exactly what Steve Harrison did, who uh, has a question uh, directed at Patty. Patty, surely a winter break, even if three weeks, would be good for the whole industry, especially at the end of the transfer window. I expect Sir Alex Ferguson rather agrees with Steve Harrison. Do you? I would like a winter break of at least three weeks every season, but I don't think it's necessary for English football. I don't think our weather uh, lends itself to prediction of when exactly the winter is going to bite. Uh, so, no, I don't think so. I think players need rest in the middle of the season, but I think it should be given on a piecemeal basis. In other words, if Ferguson wants to send Scholes away to Bermuda in mid-season or as he did with Schmeichel a few years ago and Beckham and various other players, then they can come back refreshed without upsetting the rhythm of the team. That's the way to give winter breaks, to give them to individuals when they need them rather than just having a blanket one at a time which would almost invariably prove wrong. So have lots of little breaks at, at the time of Sir Alex Ferguson's choosing. Well, this just the only for United players for the rest of the Each league. manager's choosing, of course. I mean, sometimes your winter break is dictated. Would it be better if Sir Alex sometimes your winter break. Sometimes your winter break is of the tibia. You know, if you're, if I mean, if you've just come back from from a five month uh, absence with injury, and somebody says, "Oh, you can't have your comeback because we're all going off to Dubai," you're not going to be very happy, are you, gentlemen? Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Game. In the meantime, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, also your web chats. My web chat is every Monday. Patty's is every... Tuesday. There you go. And Ollie K is on Wednesday. 
Also, don't forget, you can follow myself, all Patty, Ollie, and a whole bunch of us Times writers uh, and podcast regulars on Twitter. We'll be back next Monday, and we'll have the best of the weekend's action. Thank you so much for your time. Catch you next week. Till then, ta-ta. Open wide and tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday 